Welcome to the Reproject Podcast channel. Our mission is to rethink, reskill, redesign the future of work for social scientists. Hi everyone, welcome to the Reproject Podcast channel. My name is Lucy. I am the co-founder of Reproject and I will be the host for this podcast. Today we're exploring an exciting new topic on social entrepreneurialism and architecture with a very special guest, Tefrim. Um, she's an architect, a Unison Young Fellow, and the founder of Barosha. So hi, Tefrim. Welcome and thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for that humble introduction, Lucy, <laughs> and really, really glad, glad to be part of this. <laughs> yes, thank you. So would you mind first giving us a short introduction about who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. So Basically, I am an architect in heart, and I have been practicing social entrepreneurship to actually understand how to translate my academia to the real world. For that, I would say that I am a young woman, a young professional who has been staying in Dhaka, the capital of Bangladesh, for the past six to seven years. I think that has been a bit of who I am because it defines me with the profession that I'm involved with or has defined the passion that I am interested to work in. And other than that, I think some of the basic things that Lucy has mentioned about being a Unison Youth Fellow and all, uh, this has all been a part of journey where I have been someone uh, who has finished a five years degree and has been involved in a part-time or a full-time job with different startups, with different organizations, working with gender rights and activism in Bangladesh and South Asia context. And at the same time, I have uh, kind of narrowed down in what aspect of architecture I would be uh, willing to work with. And that's the community where there is a hint of housing and development issues. And at the same time, urban disaster preparedness issues, the city resilience issues that we would work on. But all this, I feel like, is the tip of who I am or what I would define myself as or would want to work toward. Great. Thank you. Would you also tell us a bit more about all of the exciting initiatives that you have been working on throughout your career? So, yeah, like I kind of touched on high level on a few of those. I think one of the things that I would say why being an architecture student or being an architect now, um, I am working beyond buildings or just beyond the mainstream architecture, not saying that that's not all right or um, that shouldn't be practiced is because probably I come from the south of Bangladesh, which is Chittagong. And um, I have seen my father work in different NGOs and in different corporates. And since my grade seven, I have had conversations with him where he always told me that Bangladesh Uh, is beyond what I see or we see in in such cities. My dad did inspire me to study architecture. So when I got into architecture, I saw that we are studying 203 credits and there is like psychology, philosophy, there is uh, computer science. And there's so many things that we need to study in in the five-year course. And um, at the end, we have a thesis. I kind of dug deep into what other master architects like Rem Kulas and other people from the the previous, previous generation um, have thought how their pedagogy was with this academia. And that is simply that we kind of confined what we need to learn and what we need to practice. And probably after finishing this degree, we get tired and we don't get involved with other initiatives. 
So I kind of broke that stereotype when I was in grade three and I started working initially with a Norwegian company uh, called YSI, Young Sustainable Impact. I applied for a business idea over there and made it to top 50. But then I saw that I don't understand what business modeling or MVP or pilot launch or how to actually make something profitable to have a sustainable business works. So I got involved with them as part of the team and worked for like 1.5 years part-time while being a student. And that learning curve kind of got me involved with my architectural internship in Norway, where I saw that gender issues, humanitarian issues are quite interrelated to architecture. And there's this whole field of socially responsive architecture where, you know, you're designing a framework or you're designing a system or a livelihood rather than just the building or the shelter of it. And then I realized that, okay, if I do that, I, I got to have hands-on experience. And that's when I applied for my second internship, which was another great initiative by Ashoka, the U.S.-based organization, having their first cohort in Bangladesh, where they selected under 18 social entrepreneurs. And with the, with the team from India, seven of us, we selected, I think, 12 social entrepreneurs. And that four months journey was amazing because I got connected, I networked, I got to learn more. I even found out architects who are already practicing such things in Europe and uh, South Africa as well. So nothing quite new that I was passionately involved with such initiatives. And being involved with all this initiative kind of built up with the idea or the project that I shaped when I was a student in the summer degree course at Bard College, Women and uh, COVID-19, Global Activism and Engagement, where all these bits and pieces that I learned, the experience that I built up, I shaped them up and Put it uh, as a project proposal, as a pilot launch, not as a nonprofit organization, but as a social business. And that's where the journey of Horsham started and the involvement with my own initiative started. So, yeah. I think that was amazing. It was a great way of demonstrating what you have been through in your career. And I'm sure a lot of our young people can relate because your career path is definitely different than most of what people expect it to be. So it's definitely not traditional and unorthodox. That was very interesting. So as we mentioned about your unorthodox career, <laughs> so since our background is in architecture, can you tell us a bit more about specifically what made you decide to make the career transition to the field of social entrepreneurship? And right. how do you find the move? Were you able to find a lot of synergy between the two fields? Yes, um, I think this is a great question because this is something I personally have to answer to people because every time they see me working for what I am, they kind of be like, oh, you, you changed your entire career. You are now a corporate girl or you're part of a business. And I'm like, um, no, <laughs> first of all, there are options of parallel professions. And then there is that mind shift that, okay, architects can be people who are working with contextual issues and involved in different sector of environment wash and socially responsive architecture that I was saying, which could be humanitarian or which could be working with informal settlement, which even could be working with, you know, sustainable interior architecture too. Those fields do exist. So first thinking out of the box. Um, and I feel like when we were students or in, in my alma mater, Brack University, architecture subject is the best because of the, the academic variety that it brings into and the five years did, even if it's the best, it has been quite difficult because it's it's very tough 
people want to give up give up they're like okay i don't want to continue because it's so hard making the models and everything but if you really fall in love with the subject and if you really try to understand the essence of it it's not always that constant pressure it it's it's that temporary pressure that we feel because the faculty or the higher authority is telling us that we have to give in the deadline or we have to you know set up a certain standard but at the same time just like how every other situation where something um, good exists along with something difficult i have found my solace as well in the sense that when i was struggling in my third year i kind of got tired with that and started to look with okay does architecture really mean that or is it something beyond why did i start in the first place why did my fa- father suggested to me am i missing out on something and that's when those opportunities came up in the great internet because everything is there in the internet there are students there are uh, de- departments uh, internationally and there are different universities who has research paper and other places uh, where they, they are already practicing such things so then from one to another um, they led to the opportunities like why i was talking about now why did i choose those specific opportunity is because i had help of my faculty my advisor i uh, habib sir i would actually want to name him because he told me to go for it where i was scared to step and think beyond just think not even do he told me to go for it apply it doesn't harm you like can you never not come back to being an architect or practice the mainstream architecture of course you always can so that was when i started think outside my reviews that i needed to submit in class you know at the end of my third year so and that was the exact time when we had the introduction of theory courses and design courses like urbanism urban design um housing and development like i said um housing issues uh, rural development um and then urban um disaster urban issues that we were working in so the faculties who took those classes did introduce me to fields that i didn't know exist previously in architecture which was just uh, with with aesthetics and functions and then i got to found out more about how actually these subjects or this um tracks work in architecture for instance during my housing and development theory course i actually found out that okay the people living in koral which is the largest informal settlement that these people are earning as much but the living condition are extremely poor for every 50 people there is one access to a toilet whereas people like me who are living in uh, areas like a better area called niketon we are getting access to one toilet from like three to one ratio like three of us are getting access to one toilet so why did this disparity exist you know why was it there why was it that the rich is getting richer and the poor is getting poorer and how could architects play a role in such situation how could we be built uh, environment professional how could we help the community by being with the community you know so all these questions came to my head and i reached out to even more of my faculties because i started questioning them and this was at the end of my fourth year after completing my internship there was a specific course called professional practice which was teaching us how to build the buildings so i told him that okay fine this is what you're teaching us in professional practice this is also a sir that i would actually take the name of amamun sir i i asked him that what do we do if you want to build housing for someone in this informal settlement or in a rural area how much are we taught about that or how much importance are we giving it given these people are 80% of the people of bangladesh and they contribute to a whole lot amount of of the gdp that we have in our country's economy like at least 
uh, 42.3%, I guess. So these conversations, these uh, questions that I, or this dialogue that was generated, my faculty is being professionals already having nearly 20, 30 years experience. They told me that, you know what, go explore for it. These are other places that you could go to. Your This, this um, initiative could actually change or aid in the architectural practice that you are in. So overall, if I would sum up, it was that one step that I had to took to just find out or question how is mainstream architecture different and how as an individual, how as a young individual, like I could uh, probably think to make a difference. Sometimes we're a bit scared, you know, we just think it's, it's, it might just, you know, make us fall down the pit or something. So yeah, the, the help just comes. I, I hope I could answer this in a proper way. No, that's a great answer. Thank you. And I think a lot of students will really appreciate that thought process as well. Well, Ashley, you talked a lot about opportunity and seizing opportunity. Just speaking with you, I can tell that you're someone who is constantly trying to create your own opportunities. And my question is, what's your secret? How do you usually spot opportunity when they come and how do you capture them? This is something that I honestly, sometimes I think that how, how did I do it? Um, it comes as a surprise because there are like two fields in a person's life, the professional and the personal. And to be honest, it hasn't been easy personally for me. Like I had to come to Dhaka, start living alone where I was someone who, who never even had to fix her own rickshaw, the three wheelers. And then suddenly I came to Dhaka in 2015 and it was like a transition and suddenly I'm having to do everything alone. I still remember that to be able to do something, I probably had to give myself a one or two day break or buffer time. And as each year went by, things were not getting easier. It was just getting much more difficult. So I kind of had to find out that what is that purpose that I'm serving that, okay, all this hardships that I'm thinking of or all this struggle that I'm going through. Um, where is that end point of all this? How am I going to see myself um, after I'm finishing this degree? This question usually do not come in our mind, I guess, because we stay in that small bubble of ours. But once that burst, like one, once it burst for me after I shifted from Chittagong to Dhaka, once I started meeting people, I started seeing how things work. Then I uh, started to realize that there are a lot of things that I would have to do on my own. I started to actually measure that every input that I give, how can that output be escalated or have a domino effect? Or how is it helping the people around me? And a big, big contribution was when I actually started to speak to people around me, be it someone who's a rickshaw puller, be it someone who's a CNG driver, be it my maid who was working in my house, be it my classmates, be it my faculties, be it people that I'm meeting um, in an exhibition or in, from other universities. Because once I started conversing with these people, I realized that what we think as struggle might not be a struggle or a problem. And there are bigger things, bigger issues out there. And then it starts to make you think that, okay, is, is my target in life just to study, finish, few courses, degrees, get the highest grade, find a distinction, whatnot, et cetera? Or is it something like, okay, I can have a moderate grade, but at the same time, I need to see how, how much experience I can gather so that I can give the best jiu-jitsu impact out there, like hit in one place and that can have an effect in 
you know, four or five other places or even more. When those questions came into my head, I kind of had to make a decision that who do I want to be or who do I want to see myself as? And at the same time, I had to be like, okay, if I fail, then I need to have an option B, C, D, E, because it's fine if I just fail. But Alhamdulillah, I have gone lucky with things because I think whatever I wanted to do till date, that opportunity was theirs. I grabbed it and I tried to make it work. I just would want to finish this with one line. It's that thing that, okay, it's fine if you fail because if one door closes, there are more. And that's something that, that happened to me because I have seen a lot of failures, but I always thought that this failure happened because another opportunity opened up. So when I spoke to these people, when I connected and searched for opportunities online, when I tried to be like, okay, I am able to do what I would want to do. For instance, this was in my head. I wanted to put it a bit earlier, which is why I, I, I gave all this background story. That is for my internship, I would never think I could do it in a foreign land, not even like Norway, but I kind of created my own portfolio I searched for the good architectural firms in uh, Arc Daily. I made a list of at least 120 firms uh, in different countries, be it Portugal, be it Japan, be it Norway. And I sent them out. I sent them out with every personalized message that I want to do this. I know I can. I am ready to work smart. I'm ready to give my 120. Please like, let, give me an opportunity to do so. Obviously, I put it in a way where I showed it to them that it's a two-way benefit. You know, you will benefit by having me. And at the same time, I will as well. It's not just about me doing for an organization. And then I heard back from at least half of the firms that I applied in. And then um, visa happened. I got the visa and then I went for my internship. And it was quite a shock for a lot of people because how did I manage it in a small time? So I feel like it's it's about that willpower and it's about that thing that even if you want to do it and if you even if you fail, it's all right because there are a few other willpowers waiting for you to work on. So I think that's how things have happened um, for me. And yeah. Wow, that's yeah. so impressive. It is indeed about the willpower and also the willingness to try, right? For real, that's definitely a great advice. Thank you. So speaking of advice, so what advice would you give anyone who's interested in working in the social entrepreneurial space in a developing country specifically, and any tips on how to break into the industry? So first of all, I think there are a lot of opportunities for sure for a country like Bangladesh in the entrepreneurial world, because even I think six years back, my senior friends who actually started the journey would find it very difficult to just approach someone or just to know something, how to start their own venture or their own initiative, which I think is not a problem right now in Bangladesh because there are a lot of individuals, there are a lot of um, organizations to whom you just have to approach and get that help and know how to start. Because starting your own venture or startups or venture capital or angel investment or investment as a whole, these are not really part of your academia over here. And there are some very stereotypical jobs that set, set there just out there after your graduation. And another bigger role in, in, the, in the career and academia field that plays a role is that people or the society kind of expect you to give BCS exam and get into government jobs. Uh, that, that way of thinking is still over here, even though 
probably, at least from my observation, it's, it's kind of uh, lessening because I'm seeing a lot of uh, young or youth getting involved with wanting to start something of their own. And in fact, I think our government is also trying to take initiatives where a huge investment or different type of investments are coming from Silicon Valley and they have started their own department or their own venture where they are trying to help different categories of startups with different funding and other type of opportunities. And other than that, there are a lot of individuals who are working in US or other countries and are bringing in opportunity in in peer-to-peer networking or other ways, even if it's through investment or even if it's through counseling or simply like consultancy, they're trying to penetrate the ecosystem of Bangladesh. Organizations like Anchorless Bangladesh, uh, Bangladesh Angels, they have very recently leveraged the situation of COVID and, you know, tried to create this online um, platform where they could connect different um, entrepreneurs in one field. Uh, This was basically the scenario of entrepreneurs where they would have their own ventures or startups. And specifically regarding social entrepreneurs, which is a bit different, uh, but in the umbrella of entrepreneurs entrepreneurial world or entrepreneurs itself. And the reason why I'm saying it's a bit different is because um, very recently, Bridge for Billions, which is, I think, a US-based organization, yeah, have worked very closely with YY Venture, and we have gone through a cohort with them for our virtual incubation. And we kind of understood that all type of investors do not work for such socially driven um, um, initiatives. There are impact investors that we would want for us to work with. And at the same time, uh, social businesses are in a kind of tricky place for which we need to learn about social startups or social initiatives because neither they are very much revenue driven and neither they are a nonprofit which could depend on grants. So wherever they are, they're in a kind of tricky place. So when Bridge for Billions had this month meetups, they brought in uh, venture capitalists, uh, investment analysts, um, social entrepreneurs, uh, because they basically work with social entrepreneurs. Um, like they worked with us. So this, this meet, meeting was on that. A perspective shared one of the venture capital, capitalists, Alejandro, was that they are now recently trying to work for a different type of investment for social entrepreneurs, which is an impact finance. And this is specifically for developing nations or de- developing countries, because we might be able to help each other out within our ecosystem but if globally we need to put a footprint it becomes a bit difficult for us as well so we need to kind of leverage and try to reach the proper places and get connected to the proper places so that we can get proper assistance to what we want to do it's not always about getting the money for social enterprises it's always how can we uh, make it a sustainable business how can we work with the tricky population or the mass population and generate the revenue at the same time be very uh, rooted with the impact that we want to create so yeah i think uh, that that is basically where we could we as a whole could penetrate and you uh, the young people could um, reach out and approach them for how you would want to shape up your idea to something real all this that i've been speaking about uh, or do know or have a highlight on is because i have 
been working on uh, my social business initiative with my co-founder. The work that Porsche has been doing, Porsche meaning trust in English, is that we are trying to generate or make a automated and transparent platform to connect the informal employees with the potential employers. And when we are doing this, we are trying to give them a better livelihood by upskilling them. For example, the scenario in Bangladesh is that we have informal people at a rate of 80%. And in the workforce, even though 92% jobs are for women to be able to do that, only 20 to 30% involvement is observed. And there are a lot of reasons why you would see women not being able to do the jobs that beyond like being a maid or working in a garments is because uh, they go through different types of um, situation at, at their home, starting from dom domestic abuse to being, them being told that they shouldn't work and et cetera. And above all this, this entire segment is um, quite uh, challenging because they are involved with blue collar jobs. They are the people who has no job security. They do not get properly paid. Um, and, and despite all this, there is a huge demand of these people because they are serving the big areas of the capital. So when these people uh, migrate or have to come to the capital to actually make a livelihood, they don't know where to go or how to start. And that's where Borussia comes in. And we, we uh, provide that transparent system for them to get connected to job. And this was something that honestly was born in the time of COVID last year. And the way it was um, shaped up happened quite later, but that initiation was um, the maids that used to work with me or you know, I knew somewhere or the other in the past four to five years, they started losing jobs. And in fact, I think according to our statistics, at least 51% women maids have lost their job in, in during the COVID. And this, this is according to a, a report made by BIGD. So keeping that aside, when these women that I know have reached out to me by saying that they have started losing jobs and you know their uh, children can't study anymore and this distress was created, I started to think that, okay, how can I find a job and place them in that situation? Because at least getting something is better than getting nothing. This happened from the COVID situation but keep it running and how it could be profitable to uh, turn into a social business and where the need is, that is something where we had to find out by serving different uh, industries, be it garments industry or food industry and some big um, companies in Bangladesh, as well as some textile industry as well. So when we spoke to the HR head or even um, the CEO of such companies, since we had uh, access to personal connections, there are demands of such workers, but they just don't know how to reach out to these people. It's a huge journey, and I'm kind of having to concise on how Borussia was born or how we have been operating. And in that process, we actually started to see where the problems are, where the demands are, and have had to make a match that, okay, these are the demands, these are the problems, how can we mitigate it, and how can this be sustainable business rather than just a nonprofit organization and help benefit both the employers and employees. So I started by saying the big definition of what Porsche does, that one-liner or two-liner, but it's quite important to understand what we mean by the informal people and what are the challenges that they face and what is the demand of these workers in a, in a country or in a dynamic um, situation in a country like Bangladesh. 
So which is why I thought the background of how this, this entire situation work needs to be highlighted on. And currently we are working by placing this micro, uh, micro agents in the largest slum of Bangladesh, Koral, which is around 90,000 um, people over 100 hectare land. And these are, these are the people who are serving as guards or janitors or even cook. And the reason why we have started our pilot launch in this place and we are working through our market product validation is because in, in this very specific area, there are people who have um, AC and TV, and then there are people who are living in 100 square feet land, uh, just like a small land with like a shelter. So you see a huge disparity here and you would, you would want to know how this works. And being an architecture student uh, for the past, I think nearly two years, I have worked with this settlement and, and the intensive research opened up a lot of opportunity that how this as a community have a lot of potential within it. And we we probably didn't unleash it to see where they could, um, as individuals, reach to, uh, which is we started working with Coral. And after that, things have started shaping up. We are where we are right now. And uh, being a UNOS and Youth Fellow, we will be getting that support of how to make our business model better and much more suitable and reach a financial st stability by uh, measuring the impact uh, that uh, we could create as, as an enterprise. You will be getting to know more about it. I'll be dropping the details in, in the description, hopefully. Great. Thank you so much. And I think that detailed example really helped us put things into perspective. So speaking of that, what would be the best piece of career advice that you would give your young self? Okay. The only advice I would give my younger self, and I would uh, definitely say, this out loud to the younger generation out there that don't be too hard on yourself. It's okay if you do not empathize or be sensitive towards your surrounding. It's okay to even be extremely uh, driven or ambitious, but just take a few steps back and try to understand what yourself would want. Um, don't, don't live in a denial with yourself. Don't be like, okay, I have to be this, but genuinely I'm someone else. For me, till a certain point, I thought that I have been a very ambitious and driven person. But um, over the past two to three years, and due to a few experiences in my life, both personal and a bit of professional, is I realized that probably whatever I'm doing or however I'm involved with the type of work I am in different contexts or in different um, activism is because I want to give back to the community. I probably want to help that one person out there in a way that I haven't received help in. If one good advice can help one person out there, I'm good to go. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's definitely a really good advice. And a lot of people need to hear that, not just for career-wise, but also for the sake of like their mental health as well. So thank you for that. I think that's all the questions I have on my list. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share with our community? Anything at all? First of all, I think, Lucy, these were some amazing questions because um, <laughs> usually um, in such conversation, it's always about what are you doing as a co-founder? <laughs> what are the work? <laughs> but you never really reflect upon why we started with these in the first place or how are we different? Like there are, I think, a lot of social entrepreneurs out there, but each of us has a unique story that someone out there could resonate with. Mm -hmm. So I really love the question because it made me think 
even about myself, like dig deep and take out the soul and put it out there in front of mm -hmm. you guys, all of you guys. So thank you so much for this opportunity to see like and the entire team of Reproject. And I feel like whatever Reproject is doing, like I would want to give um, give a thought on that is because I wish when I was young, I had something like Reproject to approach to or just see or go through. So my thought would be that just want to overall thank and be grateful that you guys exist. <laughs> we want to always be part of this initiative and help in every way possible, inshallah. So thank you. Thank you. you. <laughs> thank you so much. And I think what we talked about today, definitely something new that we haven't explored before. And especially from the point of view of someone who's working and from a developing country, it's also something people could definitely learn a lot from. So thank you so much, Tahreen. If you guys have any questions for Tahreen, feel free to leave a comment. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening in. And please remember to follow us on our LinkedIn page or sign up to our newsletter for more interesting content. Mm -hmm.